The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. When you go to donate it to a church, but when you go shopping, that small amount doesn't seem so big after all. Isn't that strange? Isn't it strange also how two hours can seem long when you're at church, those Sunday school hour and the worship hour, but when you're at the ball game, man, it can never, it keeps going, right? Or isn't it strange you can find a word to talk to a friend about, but, but when you pray, you can't seem to find the right words. Ever been there before? Or isn't it difficult and strange how boring it is sometimes to read one chapter of the Bible, but to read your Facebook feed, man, that's the best thing in all the world sometimes, isn't it? Isn't it strange how we want front row tickets to concerts and games, but we always sit in the back row. I was thinking of John Moody. I don't know if he's here today. Oh, hi, John. You moved up halfway. Congratulations, John. The ongoing joke is true. So congrats, John. You are moving up in the world. And isn't it strange how difficult it is to learn spiritual things to share with others, but how easy it is to learn and understand and extend and repeat things that may or may not be true? Isn't it strange? And it's strange, too, because sometimes this is how the Lord seems to work. The things that should be so easy for us to get, the spiritual things, are often not the things that we get. It's the physical things. We go and do this. We go and do that. But to know Christ is to experience Him, and that is often thrown upside down, topsy-turvy as it is, as it comes. But you cannot grow in your relationship with Him if you do not often think that the spiritual struggle, as easy as it should be through Christ's strength, should be the greater struggle of the two. Because we do not war against flesh and blood, we war against things unseen in the spiritual realm, Ephesians 6 tells us. And what we know to be very, very true is that the gospel is so easy, but it is so profound that it'll take a lifetime to learn. And Andy, I think I got these, or Adam, I got these out of sorts, but Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, two slides down, says this, God reminds us that my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways, God says, higher than your ways and my thoughts, not your thoughts. It is very interesting because we are going to look at a passage of Scripture that when we look at it, we should just be able to say, wow, that's so easy. I mean, Jesus, you could have just done it and did it and done it and got it done. And that's strange to us because we're going to look at this because we have seen healing after healing after healing after healing. And we would think, oh, Jesus, that's so easy for you to do. Why don't you just get in there and do it again? But Jesus is going to do a healing in two stages. He's going to heal a little bit and then he's going to finally heal the blind man. And there's a lesson for us there. And I think that lesson is that so often the things that should be aren't and the things aren't should be. Because that's what the disciples are learning, that some things are more strange than they ever came to be. So why is it that God often works in ways that we don't understand? And why is it that he does some things sometimes that delay the healing of others when he could just do it himself? The big idea today comes out of this very thing is that there is no rebellion too great, no weakness too deep, no blindness too profound that God cannot conquer. 
And even for us, as we say that, we can think of things in our limited human minds where we would look at and say, well, Darren, you don't know about this situation, or I've been praying for this group of people or this person or, or, or this. But the reminder is, is that Jesus never leaves a task unfinished or a job undone. You are walking evidence of that this morning, and that should be a praise. Because Jesus watches people and Jesus cares for people. He's not reluctant to put his hand on someone and heal them right away. But oftentimes, as it is, Jesus will delay his healing for a greater spiritual purpose. As strange as it is, that's what it is. And this is so great for us to remember that the power of Jesus is not limited by circumstances. It is only limited by us who sometimes see things differently than we ought to, instead of seeing things as he sees them to be seen. So two observations today. I, I, I struggled this week on the plane and other areas about how to break this down. But I look at two observations this morning about how the Lord works. And we're going to become newspaper reporters. They still have newspapers today outside the Kansas City Star. That seems like a dead thing these days. But you know those questions, don't you? The who, the what, the where, the how, and the why. So you know this. That's what we're going to look at first of how the Lord works. He's going to leave us some questions to consider. And then secondly, as we look at how the Lord works, that nothing is too great for Him, nothing's too profound, even as strange as it is to us, is why does God answer certain things and do certain things in stages? Again, why doesn't God just do it all in one fell swoop? Well, this is a strange miracle indeed, because this miracle that we're going to look at is one that's only recorded here in the book of Mark, yet again. Here it is. And so why does this occur in two stages? I mean, again, why does Jesus just not get it done? That's a great question. Because if you're a hurting mama, a hurting grandparent, something, there's a need in your life, often you're going to ask that, God, why not now? Why do I have to wait? I mean, I press 30 seconds on the microwave and it's done. I put 20 minutes on the wash machine and it's done. But God, why won't you, according to my time schedule, according to my dialing, do how I want you to do it. Now, we may not say that openly in church, but I bet you everyone in this room has felt that way at some point or another, especially when you feel crunched or for pressure. Well, one thing we know is that Matthew records 21 miracles, Luke 22, John 8, but this miracle is one of the, the, the several in the book of Mark that only show up here because Mark is going to show us something about God's character as we study this this morning that the other gospels do not touch. With that in mind, will you join us? If you're visiting with us, we stand in honor of God's Word uh, to Mark chapter 8. As we look at this question, two stages of coming to Christ, as strange as it may be. Pick it up. Actually, we're going to pick it up in verse 21. That'll set the context. It's been a couple weeks. Remember last time Jesus was talking to them about the, 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 the Pharisees and the, the Herodians about bread, and they were upset they didn't bring the bread, and, and they're thinking about the bread, and Jesus is like, no, it's not about the bread, and and it's about something deeper. And here it is, verse 21. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they, that's the disciples and Jesus, came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? And he looked up, that's the man, and said, I see men, but they are like trees walking. Then, verse 25, Jesus laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. 
And verse 26, he said and sent him to his home, the blind man, or former blind man, saying, do not even enter the village. Come on, Jesus. I mean, you're God. Why don't you just get in and get it done? It's strange to us, just as some of those things I opened with are strange to us. But I pray, as this man saw, that we will see clearly as we ought. Will you join me in prayer as we start off this morning? Father, as we look at a passage of Scripture that's very unique to the Gospel of Mark, uh, peculiar as it is, uh, Father, your son spitting and, and touching eyes and partially healing and then fully healing. Lord, even from an American 21st century context, we say, whoa, that's really odd. But Father, I thank you that you work in ways that often we do not understand. You don't always do it the same way twice. You don't always have to follow the plan or the box or the, or, or, or the expectations that we ourselves as humans put on you. But yet at the same time, Father, you don't go against your character. You are faithful. You, when you say it, you will do it. When, when you promise it, you fulfill it. So, Father, as we trust, not in our devices or plans, we walk according to yours. Give us wisdom as we do. Thank you for this time together. May you bless our study. Draw people to Christ, both for salvation and growth. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I want to start out this morning by, by going through these questions because they are very important for us as we open up to the gospel. Some questions to consider as we ask this question, why does Jesus often delay or, or stage out certain things? First question I want you to see is the where. Where is Jesus at? We're just kind of going to walk through the text here, but where did Jesus go? And it's very easy. It's right there in front of you. But where did Jesus go? He went to a place called Bethsaida, Bethsaida, and this is in the northeast corner of, of the uh, Sea of Galilee. You may remember this. Bethsaida is where Philip and Andrew and Peter are from. This is a place that's very familiar to the disciples, and you would think going home, the disciples would be, they would just get it. They would be like, wow, Jesus, let, or people, let me tell you what Jesus did. But these disciples are still trying to figure out what happened to Jesus. Why did he not bring bread? What's he talking about? This leaven and this stuff and, and the Pharisees? I, I just don't get it. I mean, Jesus called their bluff last time. You ever looked at someone and said, you really don't get it, do you? Jesus did that to them numerous times. So they walk into now their hometown, some of them, and they are getting ready to see another mighty work of God. So where are they? They are in Bethsaida. And I just want to apply this as we go. It's just very basic today because I, I just want to apply this as we go. But as Jesus went, wherever he went, he was about the mission of God. Jesus never had this thought in his mind that there's a sacred and a secular. There's, I'm a Christian here and I'm not a Christian there. He was always who he was all the time. But how different that is for us. I don't know what Andrew, Philip, and Peter were thinking when they walked into their hometown. Maybe there was a thought of like, ooh, I'm not sure I want to be like this. I don't, I'm not sure I want to be around Jesus right now because, you know, what will people think of me? We have no idea. But one thing we do know and what this passage teaches us is to follow Christ means you go wherever He leads. You do whatever He demands and you say whatever He teaches. If not, you're just doing your own thing. And that's strange to us. Because we think, well, God, I'm going out for you. I've got to make this up as I go. I've got to go. Guys, I am grateful that the greatest preaching advice that was ever give, given to me, you stick to this book and you're going to be just fine. You make up words to it, you're going to be out the door. That's pretty much what it is. And how true for your life as well. 
that as you are following this God and as He leads you into places and situations that are different, even among people you know well, to be faithful to Him is the greatest truth that you have. So that's where Jesus is as we consider some questions. Now, whom did Jesus encounter? Notice the second part of verse 22. Who did He encounter? He encountered a blind man. Now, this isn't certainly the first blind man that Jesus dealt with. We know of many others in the Scriptures. But in verse 22, he was brought to him a blind man. Now, who brought him? You remember last chapter in, in chapter 7 that Jesus healed the deaf man? And who brought him to Jesus? You remember this? It's his friends, his family. And so, these friends and family have probably heard about Jesus at some point, And in hearing about Jesus, they've witnessed something great. And notice what they do here. It says they begged him to touch him. They begged him to touch him. Well, they, they know Jesus can heal. They know it. They believed it. They've seen it. They've heard it. And they, they know Jesus has the power. And they, would, they could come up with a thousand excuses not to go to Jesus. Well, you know, Jesus is going to be busy today. I'm not sure I want to bother him. Or, or there's going to be lots of people. I hate crowds. I know I'm an introvert. Let's just stay home. But they don't do that. They know that the only power that can heal this, this blind friend of theirs is Jesus alone. And friends, this is strange to us because we often think, well, didn't Jesus just heal them? Why do they have to bring him? Jesus saw fit to make a point from this miracle. And friends, what an application for us that we need to plead with the Lord. Lord, touch this one by your grace. Touch this one by your grace. As you bring people to Jesus, remember, there's never going to be a convenient time to bring someone to know Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, the times that you talk to people about Jesus are times when you would rather be doing something else. Um, uh, the Uber driver I had on the, the way back from the airport to Dallas to Love Field uh, in downtown Dallas or outside of Dallas, uh, he just started chatting it up. He said, oh, you're from Kansas City. I got people that live off something, something northeast. I'm like, that's just like right down the road from our church. Like, can I get that address so we can follow up? But we ended up having a brief conversation about Jesus. I just wanted to, you know, put my headphones in and not talk and do that sort of thing. And just a very brief conversation with 75-year-old Arthur, who's a pro bowler, by the way. He, he didn't have a handicap. He averages 287 at, at, at 75 years old. But that led to a very basic conversation about the gospel. You never know to whom you will bring. But friends, are we bringing people to Jesus, even at times and places where it seems strange? Notice also, what did Jesus do? That's the third question. Not only where and to whom, but what did Jesus do? Look at verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, look at your scripture there, and he laid his hands on him and he asked him, do you see anything? Five things here if you notice it. What did Jesus do? He took him by the hand. Guys, don't miss this. This is so key. Your Lord, you are not just a number to your Lord. You are an individual created in the sight of God uniquely in His image. And He gives Him His undivided attention just as He did last chapter with the deaf and mute man in chapter 7. And He takes Him out of the village. I mean, Jesus, again, Jesus, if you're going to heal someone, why not do it in public? Why not just get more PR for yourself? Why just, just get all the building of commotion and everything else? That seems strange to us. We've confronted with that several times in Mark. But he wants it to be a private and personal matter. He wants to preserve the man's dignity. He wants to not use him for public consumption. So he lets him out of the village. 
Don't try this at home, but you see the third thing that he did? Jesus takes some saliva. Not just saliva, it literally, the Greek word there is spit. And puts it on his eyes. I'm not going to do that. You don't want to see that, but you can picture that, right? He puts it on his eyes. It's very similar to what he did in Mark 7 with the deaf mute man. And friends, it's not dressed up. It's rather coarse. I mean, Jesus, really? I mean, come on. What'd you eat for dinner? I mean, that's just, it's just gross, you know? But this is what God does. It's strange to us. Why would he do it this way? But that is the first application point you need to see here, is that God knows this moment your precise need. So Darren, the man needed to be spit upon? Apparently so, in, in the physical sense. But what God is able to do through the most weird means is what God is able to do through the most weird means. So many of us in church life get caught up, and we've done it this way. We've always done it this way. Therefore, we're going to continue to do it this way, and that's not always a bad thing. We always are going to be preaching from this book. Amen? We're always going to be sharing the gospel. We're always going to be doing the things the Scripture commands us to do. But that might look like a different twist at times in the life of a church and in the life of an individual. But this is the second time Jesus has done this. And so you need to know that wherever you are, whatever it is, God, just like this man, for whatever reason, knows your precise need, and it may not look like anything you've ever seen before. And it may be weird, and that's how God often works. Fourthly, He lays His hands on him. He lays His hands on him. You see that there in the text. He, he lays His hands on him. He's not avoiding him. He's, he's trying to communicate to him. He can't see him, so he's responding to this. And then he asked him that question, do you see anything? A healing has taken place. And he asks him this after, not before, if you notice that. He shows us something good has come into the blind man's life. And this is something of our Lord, guys. God is not in an ivory tower far, far away. He, he's not unwilling to work with people. He's among us, God is, and he's willing to take us wherever we are and take us to the place he wants us to be. He doesn't just spectate our lives. That's the second point I want you to see. God is not just a spectator in your life. He is part of your life if you have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And he's at the right hand of God pleading for you. And again, this is strange because Jesus asked him, does he see anything? And if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, Jesus, you just touched him. Surely he sees everything. But notice here the fourth question as we go to it. Not the where to, or the whom or the the how necessarily, but the what. What Jesus heard. Notice the man's response in verse 24. And he, that's the man, looked up to him. He said, I see men, for they're like trees walking. I want you to really think about that statement for just a moment. This man has previously seen before. I mean, you think about that? How would he ever know what a man or a person is if he's not seen before? So at some point, God had taken away his sight. God and his providence had taken out his sight to prepare him for this moment in this miracle. He was not born blind. He's speaking of seeing the 12 disciples, and he sees them walking around like trees. Who knows what that means? Some of y'all feel that way when you go to the eye doctor. That's why I will never get glasses. I'll never wear contacts because I don't want that stuff going in my eye. Give me the dentist all day. Never take me to the eye doctor, please. For some of y'all, you're like, that's just easy. No, when they go like this to your eyes, that's not okay. Like that's, and they stick a needle. No, just No. But this man, spit on my eyes all day, I don't care, don't stick a needle in my eye, that's just how it is. But there are two words, you'll see this up here, that he says, I see them looking around like trees, that's what he knows. Has God healed him? Yes. 
Has God fully healed him yet? No. And that's strange because Jesus, just get on with it. Come on. Friends, there are two words that will ruin our entire perspective on life and take us straight the opposite way of heaven. And Adam will put this up. They are I deserve. I deserve. If I'm this man, I'm thinking, Jesus, you just touched me. I deserve to be fully healed. I am here. You are here. How can it get any better than this? For I, there's there's got to be a thought here that he thinks, what, well, I see things, but I still can't clearly see. Friends, the greatest thing we need to remember is that we deserve the wrath and the judgment of God. That we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That he says, I see men, but they look like trees. Lord, he's, he's pleading with me, Lord, do not touch me just once, but heal me until it's done. But for many in this world, those who say, well, God, what you gave me isn't enough. I've got to go do my own thing. That's why there's so many false religions in the world, because God's grace in Jesus is never enough for them. I've got to prove myself. I've got to work hard enough. I've got to get baptized. I've got to go to church. And those are great things. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus or the highway. This man didn't deserve even the partial healing of his sight, as we don't deserve even the partial healing of our souls. But praise God, Jesus doesn't just fulfill us partially. He saves us wholly, amen, as he does. And so he goes on, the where, the whom, the what Jesus do, did and what Jesus heard. But what else did Jesus do? Notice verse 25. And then Jesus again lays his hands on his eyes. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Okay, I'm young, used to be a youth pastor. The first thought that passed through my mind when Jesus said this, this is totally unholy thought. He said, psych, I gotcha. You know, like, oops, just playing with you, just messing with you a little bit. But that's not clearly what's happening. It shows a repetition. He laid his hands on him again. It shows that Jesus knows what exactly happened in his life and exactly what he needed in that moment. And he looks restored. He completely restored. That's amazing. Can God heal you at one point and give you further healing later on? Yes, absolutely. You think Lazarus didn't die twice? Lazarus died once. He got healed. He died twice, and he went to heaven. He was healed once and for all in that sense. But friends, let this be a reminder to you that God never half saves or half heals someone. There are main line in name only Christian churches that teach people that you are partially saved and that by speaking in tongues, walking through the sacraments, by doing other things, that that adds to the percentage that Jesus couldn't equal. When Jesus saved you, he saved you 100% or he never saved you at all. You are not a half Christian. You are not a half breed. You're not inbred. You are completely a new creature in Jesus or you are not. That is what it is. And this man and this lesson reminds us, as strange as it is, that God doesn't say, oh, I'm going to save most of your sin now, and if you're just a good little boy and, and, and you follow me and you do good things, I won't give you coal. I'll give you more forgiveness. That is not grace. That is a false gospel. Jesus wholly saves. And that's what we know. Jesus is not Santa Claus making a list, checking it twice, going to see who's naughty or nice. Jesus is coming to town. No, that's not how that goes. 
Jesus is not Santa Claus. Jesus is Jesus. He's Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And when he saves, he saves wholly and completely. And that's why if you're not a Christian here today, you cannot save yourself. You can't try hard enough, be good enough, do best enough. Jesus did it all for you or there's nothing. Repent and believe the gospel. And finally, I want you to see what else Jesus said. Look at verse 26 here as as we go forward. Look at verse 26. It says, and Jesus told him, again, this seems so strange, but Jesus said to him, do not even enter the village. Jesus, didn't you go to college and get a communications major? Jesus, don't you know that when the moment's hot, you strike? When, when, when the PR is there, you get the camera up, you type out a tweet, you get a Facebook page going, because Jesus, guess what? In five minutes, there's going to be some more news coming, and yours isn't going to be on their Facebook feed. Be very careful, Jesus, how you handle yourself. But he tells this man a command. He reminds him that he either lived in another place or lived outside. His friends probably brought him from a long, long way away. But why? Why not say it? Why, why do this? Because Jesus wasn't there to communicate the message that he was all about healing. Jesus was there to communicate the message he was all about coming to seek and to save the lost. Imagine if he had went back in that village and said, I got healed. Then the whole crowd's going to say, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I got to be healed too. But they would have the wrong impression about who Jesus was. Friend, of the great lengths that this man came to, Jesus said, don't even go back into the village. He basically tells the man and probably the people with him, go back to where you came from. But it was a huge sacrifice probably for this man to come. And as you'll see on the screen, how willing we ought to make personal sacrifices to bring people to Jesus. It is inconvenient. It is different. It's not what you expect. It's strange. But as we do, God will bless the efforts. And that is what it's all about. So he began to see clearly. He did everything that it was. But the big question remains, Pastor, why did he not just get healed in one fell swoop? Let's end with that as we look at question number two. Why does this miracle happen in two stages? Great question. You need to look at the context. Remember, real estate is all about what? Location, location, location. If you're off on a busy road and you're trying to sell a house, it's probably not going to sell very well unless it's got some really good amenities. But how much more is this about location? I want you to go back up for just a minute to Mark chapter 8, verse 16. Why does he heal this man in two stages? I'm going to submit to you, church, it's not just about this man being healed. It's about the disciples learning a spiritual, eternal truth. Look back at verse uh, 16. And Jesus speaking here, he says, And they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts not hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them again, do you not yet understand? This miracle is not about the fact that God cannot heal at one time. Guys, God is. Do not believe theologians or teachers who tell you that God in this instance, if you go read the liberal commentaries, I mean liberal people who deny the basics of the faith, they will say that Jesus had to kind of recharge himself before he healed that other person. 
you know, we just got a new mower. I, I, I broke a mower, and so we got one of those battery-powered ones, right? So you just plug it in, or you put it on there, and you go. So a lot of people think that's how Jesus was right here, that Jesus had to take five seconds to go catch his breath before he could fully heal this man. That's not at all what is happening here. What is happening here is this man is really just a side story to the big story. These disciples are missing the point. These disciples are missing the point that this is about them and every other Christian that would come after them. That when you become a Christian, you see partially. Is that not true? When you become a Christian, did you know everything about the Christian life? You probably thought you did, but then you stepped out there in the world for the first time and said, man, this is kind of hard to live out. What Jesus is communicating, the purpose of this miracle, is that as a Christian, you will be saved and you will be healed completely, but you don't fully understand it all until the time comes when Jesus calls you home or he, or, or, or he returns. And two reminders you see up on the screen that this is about when you are saved, you are saved right away. Was this man healed? Yes, he was healed. His eyes were opened. You are not saved over some period of time. When you are saved, you are saved in that moment. That's why Jesus can look at the thief on the cross, as you remember, and when he's dying, say to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Not when you take the Lord's Supper, not when you get baptized, not this, that, or the other, but you are saved now. And as we live this out, Christians, we are like the blind man on the first stage of the healing. You will look at things, you will see things, you will be involved in things, and you will say, Lord, I cannot understand where I'm at. But someday, faith will become sight. Someday, what we don't understand, we will. And that is what conversion is. It's a change from darkness to life. But we only see, like this blind man in shaded views, how much we long for the day when we look to see Christ face to face. And they who know Christ will see this as the inevitable conclusion of what is happening. Look, if you're a Christian and you struggle with the fact that you just don't ever seem to walk as you ought to walk as a Christian, this miracle is for you. Why, Pastor? Because this reminds you that you don't have it all together. But it also reminds you that the Scripture says, He who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of redemption. We could be here 24-7, 365, and feast on so much. But there's so much more to know. One thing that came to me as I was studying through this is, you know, for many of you in this room, you've hit a plateau spiritually. You've hit a plateau spiritually where you're okay with where you're at. Don't be okay with where you're at. Does that make sense? Some of you have gotten to the point where you're just like, wow, I'm, I'm okay with this. I, I'm okay with seeing all that I see because that's good. I know enough. I can say the right words around Christian people. I know how to work the system, you know, in that sense. Friend, don't be complacent in your faith. Although you don't see all things, that doesn't mean you give up on all things. Look, if... I would have been completely happy if we could have stopped at kindergarten, A, B, C, D. But life demands a little bit more than that, doesn't it? And in your Christian life, how much more? Although God has not given you full sight to see everything, you would have bet this man would have just given up everything just to see even partially what he saw. Christian, remind yourself, 
that the Christian life is not just a one and done, hey, I did that Jesus thing, but if you're truly a Christian, no matter if you don't understand it all, you want to know more of Him. You want to know more about Him. You want to know, share more about this Jesus. Just like when you got married, hopefully you didn't just say, man, I got the ring on her. Yes, I'm done. Husbands, it's Father's Day. You better not say amen to that. Because the moment you got married, if you are married, is the moment that you started a lifelong journey to get to know your spouse. And for some of you, that's more amazing each day as you find the little, in, in, in the little the quirks that makes them tick. But friends, that's the amazing thing about Christ, is though you see partially now, there's never an exhaustion to anything that you can bring to the table. He is faithful to give you more. For some of you, this miracle here is a danger and a warning because you have said, I've got enough of what I need in Jesus. I can make my way around. But remember what the church at Revelation was told. God either wants you hot or cold. He doesn't want you lukewarm. Be careful how your faith moves forward. And also, for those Christians here, would you pray, like Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, that God would open your eyes to the spiritual realities around you? For some of you, this could be that you are struggling with the miracle part of this. You're struggling with the fact that you've been praying for someone for so long about something that you just don't see an answer to. Please know that God's power is not limited. Please know that God's power is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Please know that His power and the point of this miracle is not just the spiritual side, but there is a physical reality that if God chooses to heal, He will heal, and He will heal how He heals. Do you remember Jacob, what happened to him? You remember Jacob, don't you? Jacob the conniver, Jacob the, the liar, and Jacob had to walk around like many all feel when you walk out of bed in the morning. You kind of walk around like this. Or after a hard workout, you kind of walk with a limp the rest of your life. God answered a prayer in Jacob one day when he wrestled with the Lord, and that's that God basically smashed his hip for the best we know, and he walked around with a limp the rest of his life. But Jacob was never closer to the Lord than when he was when he got hurt or healed, injured. It may be that God's restricting from you a full healing for whatever that is, and that is for His greater purposes in your life. That's hard to swallow, but it may be the best truth that you've heard in that. So church, what does this mean for us? I pray it means for us that we know that there is no one outside the purposes of God in our lives. God may well bring you to a situation that you have no control over, and the only thing you can do is, like these men that brought this man to Jesus, is to go before God and say, God, it's in your hands, whatever it is. Let me remind you of the big idea today as we close, as we do, and get ready for the Lord's Supper. The big idea is very simple. There is no rebellion. There is no weakness. There is no blindness so profound that God cannot conquer it. Do you believe that today as we close? Will you pray with me this morning? Father, as we come before you, we want to thank you that you are the God who's able to do the impossible. Father, you work in ways that we don't always understand. You, you lead us through situations that, like these disciples, we would look at and say, Lord, I don't get it. But, Lord, how we look forward next week to Mark's uh, gospel as we hear the great confession of Peter that, Jesus, you are the living Son of God. But, Lord, as we seek to muddle our way through this life, not knowing all things, not seeing all things that you see, Father, may our trust always be on what and who and, and whatever situation you may bring us through is exactly what we need at that moment. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this time. Father, thank you that we who have been saved have been saved fully in Christ. 
And Father, we pray for those situations in this room that do not see as they ought to see, that they would be strengthened by your Spirit to trust you no matter what the journey may bring. Father, this passage is very straightforward, but apply it to our hearts today. We ask this today in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. I ask you to join with me as we uh, sing.